The epistle for this Passion Sunday is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Brethren, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered once for all through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, nor again by the virtue of blood of goats and calves, but by virtue of his own blood into the holies, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkled ashes of a heifer sanctify the unclean unto the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the Holy Spirit offered himself unblemished unto God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And this is why he is mediator of a new covenant, that whereas a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the former covenant, they who have been called may receive eternal inheritance according to the promise in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the eighth chapter of the gospel of St. John. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds of the Jews, Which of you will convict me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear is that you are not of God. The Jews therefore in answer said to him, Are we not right in saying that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I do not have a devil, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and who judges. Amen, amen, I say to you, if anyone keep my word, he will never see death. The Jews therefore said, Now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keep my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say that he is your God, and you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be like you, a liar. But I know him, and I keep his word. Abraham, your father, rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham came to be, I am. They therefore took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, the gospel recounts this extraordinary conversation between our Lord Jesus Christ and the Jews, wherein the Jews accuse God of being possessed by the devil. Our Lord is divine wisdom. He's the incarnate wisdom. He's speaking truth itself to his listeners. There's no wiser person who exists. There's no more truthful person who exists. And in response to this teaching of truth, the Jews say to him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you're possessed by a devil? What's going on here? What is the problem? It's a problem of hearing. It's a problem of listening. 
They're not willing to hear the voice of God. And as a result, our Lord says these terrible words to the Jews. St. Gregory in the, in the reading for Matins this morning, he says, how terrible are these words? He that is of God hears the words of God. Therefore, you do not hear them because you are not of God. They have a hearing problem because of the hardness of their hearts. They're not able to listen to God himself. They so hate the words of God, the truth of God, the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they wish to silence him, to silence him so definitively that he will not speak again. They take up stones to kill him, to stifle his voice. And, of course, it doesn't work in the sense that our Lord is able to escape them. He is not stoned as a result. But it does work in the sense that he's forced to hide himself. And we do not hear from him again. From that point, it's a danger for him to speak in public because he knows that they might seek to kill him when it's not yet his hour. And when we come to that faithful hour, what do we find on the part of our Lord? It's extraordinary how he behaves towards them. It's almost as if he's not able to reach them anymore. There's nothing that he can say to them that he has not already said. He's not able to reach them with his words anymore. And so he impractices this incredible silence when he's standing before his accusers. When he stands before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, what does he say to them? Nothing. They have to force him to speak. When he's standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, what does he say to him? Nothing. Scripture says he's astonished that there's no answer that he, that he gives to his accusers. When he's standing before Herod, what does he say to this ridiculous king? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So it's almost as if after all that our Lord has preached and said and the unwillingness of the part of the religious leaders to listen to him, the only way for him to communicate to them at that point is through silence, to say nothing at all. He gives his message precisely by saying nothing. It's so important for us, my dear faithful, to be capable of hearing God. You have to be able to listen to the voice of God. And it's not easy. We must say that we have to foster what might be called the virtue of silence. The reason why it's so difficult is because it's just a, a certain fact of, of reality that the smaller the voice, the more silence that is needed to hear it. There's a very small sound that's being pronounced. You have to listen very, very carefully to hear it. And we also find in, in reality that often the smaller the voice is, the more important it is. There's the internal voice of our mind, You're the voice of you speaking to yourself, the voice of your own reflections, it's extremely important. And there's a voice of God, which is even quieter 
than that voice of your own mind. And we have to be able to listen to those two voices. We know that noise is the domain of the world, whereas silence is the domain of God. It's very easy to listen to the world because the world speaks so loudly and so boisterously. It, it's very anxious to have itself heard, and so it blares its message all over the place. But our thoughts, the voice of God, are very, very quiet. The world is, is full of machines. You know, we have so many machines today that they make a lot of noise. Um, we have uh, our alarm, our alarm bells or, or our cell phones, um, our machines of, of transportation. You know, if you, if you go to, to a concert and you have these people who have prepared very long to play this beautiful piece of music, they tell everybody, make sure you, you turn off your, your cell phone, you silence your cell phone before the concert begins, because they know if, if, the, if there's this ringtone going off in the midst of the concert, then you're not going to be able to concentrate and hear the beautiful music. You'll be distracted by the noise of, of this device. The world is, is also full of distracting entertainment. We know how, how television has progressed over time, where in the, in the older movies, there were, you would often have uh, the camera fixing on one frame for a long time. And then slowly but surely, they, they start to, to move the frames, to change the frames more and more rapidly. And now, I mean, like if, if, if I go to a restaurant and there's, there's a television there, it's just it's hard not to be mesmerized by the constant changing of the screen. I find it difficult to speak, concentrate to on the person right across from me what they're saying because this screen is so loud with its visual imagery. And th this is, in a sense, the, the, the noise, even the visual noise of the world that, that bombards us because the, the world is very, very noisy. So it's striking how, how God made nature, and, and unless you're in Australia with, with these cockatoos that, that screech, but, but in most places nature is, is, quiet, is very quiet, is much quieter than the creations of man. So as they say, we, we have to want to foster the virtue of silence so that we can hear what we are meant to hear in this life. And we, we do it in a, in a negative way by very carefully regulating our intake, our ingestion of the noise of the world. That's a, a negative thing. We sort of push away, regulate how much noise of the world hits us. And then two positive things that we do is we create situations for us to hear the voice of our own mind and also to hear the voice of God himself. We need silence for those things. You have to be able to reflect in your life. Reflection is just simply part of a well-ordered life. And if you want to reflect, if that's your goal, then you're going to take the means necessary to attain that goal. So one thing that, that you're going to do is you're going to choose certain places and certain times where you anticipate that you will be able to hear the voice of your own mind. You'll be able to think about yourself, your behavior, situations that happen in your life. That's, that's a certain exclusion of external noise, 
But there's also a way to calm down the soul. It's, there, there's, there's an internal noise that we have in addition to the external noise. The internal noise comes from our emotions, from our passions. If our passions are inflamed, it's very hard for us to reflect. We, we are not able to reflect. I think we've all experienced this. If we're, if we're in a rage, we're really angry at somebody, we're really, really sad, distressed at something that's happened to us, we're not able to think. We can't think. And so it takes an effort for us to restore peace to our soul, to calm our soul so that we can reflect in the right way about what has happened to us and judge it from the, from the proper perspective. And this is how we can speak of a virtue of silence. There's a certain temperance that's being practiced. There's a certain mortification that's being practiced. I exclude certain noises at certain times. And meanwhile, I work on my own soul, my own emotions, to restore peace of soul. I am uneasy if, if I don't have that peace of soul and I try to bring it back. We know that what's, what the opposite extreme is, the people who are intemperate in these regards, um, some, there's some people who they get just so used to noise in their lives that, that they can't, it's almost like they can't live without noise. I know I've been over people's houses where, where there's like a screen in every room and it's always going. There's always some programming on that it's like they need background noise. If there's no noise in their life, somehow it makes them very uncomfortable, very, very uneasy. There becomes a certain slavery to the noise of the world um, or, or people who become addicted to their devices and they, they've got to be seeing or engaging with their phone at, at all times. It's like they're very, very restless and they, they, they cannot handle life, they can't cope with life unless they are taking in those things. We, we must also notice how children are raised, where, where parents have to make decisions about how they deal with the restlessness of their children. Um, I, I, again, I, I've seen in, in sometimes you, you go into a restaurant and, and you see how the parents, if they're, if they're little children, get upset. They just hand them some sort of device and, and the child is like watching an, an iPad or something all throughout the meal just so it will be quiet. And if this is the go-to solution for the parents, then that child never becomes accustomed to silence, never develops the habit of silence, and is ne- therefore, when they grow up, not, does not have the habit of reflection, is not able to take the time to reflect about things. It's just reacting to whatever happens. Another thing that, that we have to remark is, is the difference in, in people, that, that when you have people who are reflective, who take the time out to, to think about their, their own behavior, um, to reflect about what they should do in this situation or that situation, who really reserve time for reflection. When they communicate, when they do make noise, what they say is a lot more valuable than if they have not reflected, if they don't have that habit of reflection. If you are able to reflect before you speak, what you say will be a lot more valuable. Whereas if you do not have the habit of reflection, when you go to talk, chances are what you say will be empty. The reflection that precedes the speech makes the speech all the more meaningful 
invaluable. There's Dominican priest, Father Cervez Pinkers, and I've taken some of the reflections from him. But he says, those who are in pursuit of wisdom take pleasure in silence, whatever else be their occupations. They like to dwell in that state of reflection. So as I say, that the, the reflection that, that we must try to practice and we, we must try to mortify perhaps the appetite we might have for noise, noise is easier than silence, that is only a means to an end. We, we do have need of reflection, but that reflection is a necessary precondition to listening to an even quieter voice than the voice of our own mind. And that is the voice of God himself, our God, who is a hidden God, who is a silent God, who only speaks to us in silence. So when, when we have that, that habit of, of reflection and we're able, we're better able to, to see the truth and there's a certain natural light that is given to us to make good judgments, to be prudent. And from that habit, there then develops in us the ability to hear that even quieter voice. Father Pinkers, he speaks of that inner light of our mind by which we are attracted to the truth and we experience the truth. And then he says, this light, both strong and gentle, leads us into a deeper silence than the silence of reflection. It is the silence of one's entire being that listens for a true word and sees the light that we cannot grasp on our own. It makes us experience the night in order that faith may grow in us. Faith demands from us the greatest silence so that we can receive the deepest and the highest word, the word of God. So you come into the church, and it's quiet. You kneel down before God, and you silence your inner talking you adore God, you humble yourselves before him as someone who can give you a light that you could never achieve of yourself. And then it's not that, that God speaks to you in words. God, God doesn't speak to me in that way. I'm sure he doesn't speak to you in that way. Um, but there's a certain insight that you receive, a higher insight than you could receive just by your own reflections. There's a certain impulse that you receive towards the good, a certain push in the right direction. It's very gentle. It's very quiet. But it's very powerful. You say to yourself, why didn't I see that before? This is amazing. I know exactly what I should do. Or you say, I really need to do this. You're reflecting about this situation or that situation, what just happened to you. Or you're thinking, what should I say? to this person, or how, what, what decisions should I make in this difficult case? You're just praying before God, and God, he just gives you a very clear light at that moment. It's the working of the Holy Ghost. It's the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But you have to place yourself in the position to hear that voice. We can see why the devil is very happy when our lives are full of noise. He is not glad for us to practice that virtue of silence. The devil is perfectly happy even if, if we do religion, um, as long as it's noisy. 
If we have noisy religion, he's okay with that. Uh, we know, we know how the, the, the Protestants are with the revivals or, or the, the charismatic renewal where, where people are just very boisterous and, and emotional. It's, it's all about the emotional rush. Um, in comparison to our own liturgy, which is so sober, which is so careful about inciting those emotions because God has to speak. You have to give room for God to speak. Recently, I've just been revisiting uh, the, the Novus Ordo Mass and studying Novus Ordo Mass, and at, at a certain point, it just, it just hit me that there's no silence in the Novus Ordo Mass. It's, it's talking from start to finish in, in the Novus Ordo Mass. The, 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 the priests and the people are so occupied with, with talking, they don't give time for silence, the silence of God. And we know, we know how in churches today, it's, it's impossible to pray. One of the most frustrating things for me when I've gone to Europe to see these wonderful, wonderful churches, what I want to do there is I want to pray at the same place all these great figures of Christianity prayed. They built these places for prayer, to listen to the voice of God, and you can't do it. They prevent you from doing it because people are just milling around talking or they even have loudspeakers. I, I was there at Christmas time one time at Notre Dame before it burned, the, the roof burned, and they were playing Christmas music. In the church, I was not able to pray in the house of God. So, my dear faithful, as we come to these final two weeks of Lent, when our Lord hides himself, and as a result, we, you know, we cover the statues. That's the reason for the covering of the statues. It's a symbol of our Lord hiding himself. When he hides himself and when he remains so silent in, in the midst of all those accusations, made against him, it's important that we seek him out in that silence, that we be willing to practice the silence. Uh, we cannot find our Lord in the midst of noise. Um, our God is a hidden God. He is a silent God. If we find him, on the other hand, if we find him in the silence of prayer by practicing that virtue of silence, he will lead us to the truth and will inspire us to do the good in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.